Welcome to the Westside Barbell Podcast. Today we're joined by Jason Gus and our guest is Bobby Maximus. Bobby, welcome to our makeshift studio here. Thank you guys for having me. Gus, always a pleasure. Welcome to be back. <laughs> um, Bobby, before, like, before we get started, let's uh, get a little bit of a bio from you and a little bit of a background on how you ended up at Westside Barbell today. Sure. I'm kind of bad at this stuff. I hate talking <laughs> about myself, but um, I have a pretty, I'd say, extensive background in sport, mm -hmm. if you will. I wrestled at a fairly high level. I competed in jujitsu, competed in kickboxing, fought in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, um, old school Ultimate Fighting Championship, 2006 and before, and uh, found myself running a gym called Jim Jones, which is in uh, Utah, Salt Lake City. And uh, just have had the opportunity to meet a lot of wonderful people in the strength and conditioning community. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny when you talk about strength and conditioning, how much uh, uh, I'd say the good coaches or the good people have in common. And I had the opportunity to meet Jason online. We started talking and realized we had a ton in common and he invited me to come out and I was kind of floored. It's a place I've always wanted to visit. Mm -hmm. Didn't know how you earn an invite here. Didn't know such a thing, you know, existed like I thought you kind of had to be part of a secret club to get here and then I found myself on a plane and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled I'm like a kid at Christmas what was the um, from what you knew of Westside to what you went through with us is there a big difference of the the theory to the actual practical you know I was actually fairly educated on Westside before I came mm -hmm. so I think the main thing that people think from the outside is you guys are all about powerlifting mm -hmm. like if you were to ask somebody randomly about Westside it's deadlift bench press back squat but what a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of sport specific stuff here you guys train a lot of legitimate athletes ranging from football players basketball players track athletes MMA athletes and so a lot of that stuff I knew the the thing that kind of surprised me though, and it shouldn't surprise me being as quality as you guys are, is the amount of care and details you guys put into stuff and also the amount of attention to accessory work. I would have guessed that it was a lot more heavy lifting yeah. all the time. And so the accessory work really surprised me in terms of the amount of work that you guys mm -hmm. do here. That's a big thing. People don't realize we got that 80-20 rule, 20% compound movements into 80% of accessories. And that's the the biggest thing. And with our athletes, that's that's how we isolate the weaknesses and make it better is through accessory work. Um, so if we go back, so from the UFC to Jim Jones, did the UFC, your background in uh, MMA fighting, help you become, I suppose, not an instructor, but become better at um, teaching and educating others in the field of strength and conditioning? Oh, absolutely. I think there's something to actually play in a sport at a high level. Not that you play UFC, but it is a sport where you can relate to other athletes um, on numerous levels. I mean, if you've been in a cage and you fought in front of 20,000 people, you can somewhat to relate to a basketball player who's got to play a game in front of 40,000 people. You can have a talk about pressure, self-imposed limitations, failure. I think you've had to be in a position to fail to teach others to succeed. So I think there is something to competition that can help. That doesn't mean that you have to have been a competitive athlete to be a great coach, because I know plenty of coaches that didn't compete that are also great coaches. Mm -hmm. You've got to have another skill set. The other place that helps me is it honestly garners respect. There's a certain, you know, there's a certain type of athlete or a certain type of person that doesn't respect somebody that hasn't done something real 
before. And so for a lot of my NFL guys I train, for some of my NBA guys, I get some instant street credit by the fact I fought in the UFC. And it seems to be a universal language. Whether you're a stockbroker, a soccer mom, or a football player, you think it's pretty badass somebody's fought. So I think it helps me get my name out there, get clients, and earn some respect mm -hmm. off the bat. Um, you brought up self-imposed limitations. That's a big thing with um, your philosophy. Can you explain that in a little bit of detail? Yeah, I'll give you guys a little bit of a background yeah. on me. And so I was bullied growing up. And I, I use that term uh, loosely mm -hmm. because I think everybody was bullied. And even sitting here right now, I want to tell you it wasn't that bad. But I remember days riding the bus to high school and kids would draw on my face with marker and I'd have to go to a friend's house and wash it off before I'd go back home. I got wedgied, I don't know how many times. Uh, one time I got duct taped to a basketball pole. That was pretty fucking fun. Um, can I swear on this thing, yeah, by the way? Yeah, yeah. All right, so that was a fucking fun experience. Um, a friend of mine cut me loose from that <laughs> basketball pole. Uh, I got punched in the face a couple times. And in grade nine, I got beat up by some hockey bullies and they broke my collarbone. I decided I never wanted to have that again, happen, that, that happened again. And so I started wrestling. My first year wrestling, I was god awful. I lost every single match. My second year wrestling, I won one match. And we're talking out of 40 matches a year. Um, but I had a guy named Eugene Vinci, who was my high school wrestling coach. And to this day, I have no clue why he let me stay on the team or what he saw in me, but I was allowed to come back to practice. Because I, I, I guess because I worked hard and wouldn't quit. And then in my third year, I started to win more than I lost. And then my last year, and if you're trying to do the math on this, we have grade 13 in Ontario, in Canada, we did. <laughs> so my last year, which was grade 13, I ended up winning. I had the best wrestling season anyone from my school had ever had. And that kind of sparked me on this path of wrestling in university, then getting out of that, uh, failing to make the Olympic team, but I was close to being a world-class kickboxer and then doing jujitsu. And then I found myself in the UFC. And I'll never forget uh, UFC 53. I was in the Mandalay Bay backstage. There's 20,000 people there. And I was sitting thinking about the fight. And I had a rush of what I'll call negative thoughts come into my mind. This thing is, you know, there's 10 times the amount of people in the stands that were in my hometown growing up. People are gonna laugh at me if I lose. I don't belong here. I'm not a fighter. I got lucky to be here. And I had all these negative thoughts. And what do you think happened in that fight? I got destroyed because mm -hmm. my head was just in a total <clears throat> another space. And so I realized I needed some help and it went beyond just physical help because I, I think there's a lot more to competing than just being physically strong or physically good. And I sought out a sports psychologist named Brian Kane who'd worked with George St. Pierre, he'd worked with Rich Franklin. I think he's one of the best in the business. And he started helping me. And we did a bunch of exercises that I'll elaborate on when I'm done the story, but it really put me in a positive headspace. My next fight in the UFC, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker. I'm the best in the world. I was second in the world in amateur kickboxing. I can win this fight. There's no way this guy works harder than me. I went out, beat a guy whose record was far better than mine, 42 and four, and I won submission of the night because of being in a positive headspace. Then I thought I was cured. Thought I found the secret, I'm good, I don't have self-imposed limitations anymore, so I quit working with a sports psychologist. And for my next fight against Eric Schaefer in UFC 62, the same negative thoughts came back. 
and I lost that fight. And what it really taught me is that if you were raised a certain way, if during your formative years you have self-imposed limitations, if you have insecurity issues, that's something you're probably gonna deal with for the rest of your life. And when I bit off on that, that's when things really changed for me, I think, in my career path, was when I realized that everyone's got this stuff. Every good fighter is scared shitless before they go into a fight. If you're a famous basketball player, you get upset when people talk shit about you on ESPN. When you have a bad game, it affects you. When people trash you on Instagram, it affects you. We're all plagued by these insecurities. Mm -hmm. And when I decided that I wasn't gonna cure myself of them, but I could learn how to manage them, that's when stuff really took off for me. When I took on that this was gonna be a lifelong battle and it's something I really need to work on. And if I need to work on it, there's a bunch of other people out there who need to work on it. So I'm sure everyone at this table has negative self-talk. We all do. And if you say you don't, you're a liar. Um, these are what I call red light thoughts. Red light thoughts are the negative thoughts that shut you down. So you approach a, a barbell and you get a thought that you can't lift it, you will not fucking lift that barbell. If you get worried and the 10 words I say that will ruin your career are what will other people say and what will other people think, if you've got that going through your head, your performance is going to flop. And all of us, and the higher the pressure is, the more these negative thoughts come up, we have these talks. I know you guys are uh, you know, not only one of the best gyms in the world, you're also a business. And running a business, do you guys ever have thoughts, what if this fails? Oh, yeah. What if this doesn't work? What if we don't make enough money? Mm -hmm. What if we have to close our doors? We deal with this stuff. <clears throat> well, there's also green light thoughts. Those are the positive thoughts. So in the context I just gave you, we're the strongest fucking gym in the world. We're the best at what we do. We're the absolute best at teaching people. We have the best level of education. Those are your green light thoughts that are gonna propel you to victory. And what you wanna do is you wanna think more green light thoughts than red light thoughts. In fact, ideally, only green light thoughts. So I would do experiments. I actually would go to Office Depot and I would buy a roll of green dots and I would put them all over the place. My steering wheel, my roof, on my fridge, on my remote control, corner of the TV. And every time I'd see a green dot, see a green dot I would have to think a green light thought. At the same time, I'd also wake up every morning and write down five reasons why I was going to be successful. And by doing those things, I brainwashed myself to a degree into believing in myself. And I say brainwashing, it's not necessarily brainwashing because the things that you tell yourself have to be truthful, but you start to convince yourself of your own value and you build up your self-worth. And by doing that, I've been able to do some, I think, pretty incredible things. And it's something now with people I train, I don't allow negative self-talk in the gym. There are things that I will put up with in the gym, Tom. If you slapped me in the face and called me a bitch, I would still allow you to train in the gym. Mm -hmm. You talk negatively about yourself, I ask you to leave and I boot you out. It's something I'm, I've got a very hard line on because the more you talk negatively about yourself, the worst you're going to do. And a lot of people don't even realize they do it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a chance I may have done it when I've been here, and that's something as a coach I need to shut down, and I need to shut it down with myself. It's a big thing too when you get one bad egg or one a bad egg, it affects everybody. Yep. So if you get one negative aspect, it's like a plague. It carries on and carries on and carries on. And it's very important to keep that positive atmosphere in training. And positive doesn't mean happy. Positive means influential. That you're going in the right direction. And that's a big thing that Louis and we've instilled here at Westside. Um, so 
your your thought process and the way you approach everything that is how you brought that into your training and how you train your athletes and um, train people yeah if if honestly if someone was to ask me what I did in terms of training and what mm -hmm. we did at Jim Jones it'd be we train the mind the slogan at the gym is the mind is primary one of my personal slogans is a strong mind is a catalyst for change I really believe with all my heart if you can make somebody's brain strong you can make their body strong that's the first thing and you know, every good athlete, if you were to give me your best 10 athletes, I'll bet you they share some of these things in common. Mm -hmm. Where they're dedicated, they have perseverance, they believe in themselves, they're uh, psychologically resilient, they can handle the pressure of competing, they know how to deal with failure. These are all things that the best people in the world, they all have in common with what they do. And so I just don't want somebody to come in and lift weights because at the end of the day, I think lifting weights is picking shit up and putting it down. You can have all kinds of different equipment. You can have all kinds of different tools. I mean, let me ask you guys a question. If you came in tomorrow to train and all your equipment was gone, would Westside Barbell just shut down? I'm gonna say no, no. you would figure out how to train people. Yep. If all you had was a barbell, you would figure out how to do it. Might not be optimal, but you would still get mm -hmm. results. And that's where I think the mind is more important. All this other stuff, it's just stuff. You're, what you're really doing is you're building a psychologically resilient, capable person, and then transferring that into the weights. Um, that's very, that's what a big, big thing that people don't know is that Westside came from just a barbell and a rack. And that was it. And it was the forethought and the mental fortitude to get through workouts and I'm gonna make stuff better and better and better. And the big thing with, with our gym from our perspective of training is that every piece of equipment in there is there for a reason. It's not there to look good and it's not there because somebody wanted us there to fix a problem. And um, that's a big thing. I think people get too cluttered in their mind that I need this, 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 I'm gonna spend all this money, get a half million dollar gym and get absolutely no results from it. Well, the other part of that is just cause you buy it doesn't mean it's gonna do the work for you. Yep. Like you can have the best machines in the world. You can have the best training program in the world, but if you're not gonna do it, it ain't gonna work. And so you've got to go through the grind. You've got to decide, I'm either going to do 15 reps and it's going to fucking hurt, mm -hmm. or I'm going to quit at 10. That's not the machine that's doing that. That's you, 100%. And how do you um, motivate your athletes? Or how do you, what, what are the things that you've found that helps them get through that, to push through these mental barriers? Shit, that's such a broad question. And, and, and I'll answer that by saying, I think everybody is different. So when you talk about being a coach, I despise the term coach in the exercise industry because what it's come to mean is a person that counts some reps. If you wanna be a coach, you have to really care about your athletes. You're text messaging them, you're having personal talks with them, you're in their business all day, you know about their diet, you know about their bad relationship, you know about their fears, their hopes, their dreams. It is a huge emotional task and outpouring to be a good coach. It's why I think you can only coach six to 10 people at a time because you don't have the resources to do any more than that. And along with all that stuff, you have to find different ways to motivate people. It's a carrot stick kind of thing. Some people are motivated by the carrot. So that's the red Lamborghini, the $25,000, the $100,000, the reward. Mm -hmm. Some people are motivated by the stick and they will work hard to avoid punishment. Some people are a mix of both. Some people are damn near impossible to motivate and you've got to find their hook. 
I think that comes from caring as a coach. And so I don't think there's one answer to that question where you can just universally write some words on the board or have some tagline that people are just gonna get behind. You gotta really work to find what somebody's hook is and makes them tick. Yeah, I totally agree. A big thing that we do here, and I know you do, is lead from the front. A, a big motivation factor for athletes is that if they see you actually working out, we're like, God damn, he actually does work out. He's not full of crap. He's not a Instagram coach, a Facebook coach. This is someone who actually lives and dies by what they do. And I think we're in a generation and a time right now that where that's not true. And if you have three or 400 clients that you train online, there is there is no way that they're getting the individual attention to detail that they need to actually excel. And when you train with the, the general masses, and I use general very loosely, but um, you with this population, they get instant gains off the bat and they get so wrapped up, wow, this actually helps us. But when they actually need to be developed and they need to have the care, and they, you can't go nowhere without a solid base. You don't develop that base, you're gonna have injuries along the way. And that's just where people are getting screwed. They don't know until actually injuries happen. And then who's accountable for? Well, it's sadly, you're accountable for yourself. Well, the other part of that too, I think, is when you talked about leading by example, that's something I cue on, is that I think people let their ego get in the way of self-development. If you wanna get better, you have to fail. You have to look like a fool. You have to fall on your face. You have to have bad experiences. If I think in my life, I failed a million times, way more than I've been successful, but each failure I've had I've learned from, and I've learned way more from my rough times than I have my good times. But how do I keep doing that, especially when I'm in, in charge of leading others? Well, I still try to put myself in positions to fail. I didn't come to Westside Barbell to try and tell you guys what I know. I didn't come here to try and teach you guys. I came here to one of the, what I consider to be the best gyms in the world to throw myself on the fire a little bit, to get some weaknesses exposed to learn, to be humiliated a little bit, to be humbled a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that is super important. And it's frankly, last couple of days have ignited a fire under me mm -hmm. to go home and I, I need to add some new things to my training. I need to do some different things. And I hope that the people that follow me on Instagram, the people that listen to me, the people that I train at the gym, they see that and they appreciate it and they wanna do the same because there's always something to learn. Do you think that, um, we talked about it uh, off the microphone, but Westside, we have our, um, people already have their preconceived notions about, okay, Westside, Barbell. Um, I'm sure it's the same with Jim Jones and Bobby Maximus. Is there anything that you think that people, that they should know that this is not, like what is, what is Jim Jones? What is Jim Jones to you and what is Jim Jones to the public? You know, and this is something that I think, I heard you say something off the mic earlier mm -hmm. that really resonated with me. Uh, that you'll work with anybody, but they gotta earn their keep. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, my phrase is, all are welcome, but not all are welcome to stay. That's the biggest thing. You gotta earn it every single day. Every single person that we train is on a probation mm -hmm. where you gotta show up and working hard. And I don't care how hard you've worked for three years, the minute you stop working hard, you're out. But it's more than that. You've gotta be a good person. You've gotta to add to the spirit of the place. You've gotta be a positive influence, which we talked about. You've gotta to wanna to help other people. You know, I notice what people do when they come to our gym. Do you grab a broom and sweep? Do you empty the garbage? Do you help other people out? Do you go out of your way to befriend other people? This is all stuff I really, really notice. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people think you need to be an elite athlete to be a Jim Jones. You don't, you need to be an elite person. And I am willing to work with a soccer mom. I'm willing to work with a person that has aspirations of fighting that's zero and zero, that's never fought. I'm willing to work with a high school kid who doesn't have the chance to make the NFL but wants to really work for it. I'm not willing to work with a pro athlete who is a bag of shit and has a terrible attitude and doesn't work hard. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to know about, about my gym that if you want to work your ass off, you're welcome to stay and you will fit in. If not, then it's honestly probably not the place for you. Yeah, that's very much how our place is. Everyone's, well, they're invited in here, but you have to earn your keep. That's a big thing. You have to be part of the gym and there's no I here. You're all part of a team. And regardless what everyone's purpose is, you're whether, again, we got MMA, we got power lifters, we got um, track and field, you name your sport, everyone has their purpose in the gym. And if you're going to be a renegade and go off and try to be unique and put yourself before others, you're just not going to earn your keep here. And that's a, a big thing. We're, we're in a culture where people want fame for themselves. And it's not, there's a whole bigger picture here. And uh, it also drags everybody else down. Yep. You said that earlier but it is really true. You get a bad egg in your midst, it's over. Oh, it's and so we're, we're super careful with that at our gym that we will weed those people out. Actually, I shouldn't say that. They almost weed themselves out because they don't feel comfortable. Yeah. Like the, the, the inmates run the asylum, so to speak. Sometimes I don't even need to kick people out. The people who train there, they'll do it for me. Well, and yet you just see it, they'll start segregating themselves. They'll start training by themselves over in the corner and that's usually the telltale signs that there's something up. And then they'll just, just train themselves out of the gym. And that is a, that is a real thing. Yeah, and people, people want to belong at heart. And when they feel they don't belong, they'll leave. Mm -hmm. They'll segregate out. Um, uh, education's a big thing for you uh, around, um, around Jim Jones, around Bobby Maximus, uh, everything that you uh, teach your clients, teach your athletes. So if, if I was to go on a, a, level, a beginner's Jim Jones course, what am I to expect? So we've got actually three different levels of courses. And this was actually, and I'm sure you guys have went through this, so if any advice you guys can give me, I'm, I'm happy to take from people that run a damn good certification, is uh, we train everybody at Jim Jones from people that have never worked out before in their life to some of the best athletes in the world. And so as an introductory course, it's really hard to set the curriculum for that. Mm -hmm. Because I've taught courses to 15 people and you've got five people that have graduated with an exercise physiology degree, and you've got five people that are way over their heads and they've been put in the deep end when they don't know how to swim. Yeah. And so how do you teach all those people? So our introductory course is very heavy on our philosophy because I think that can transfer to anyone. Mm -hmm. Whether you are the fittest person in the world or the most unfit person in the world, that philosophy can help you. And our philosophy and my personal philosophy extends far beyond just training. I wanna use training as a tool to make you a better person. And that's better in your sport, a better husband, wife, a better mother, a better father. If, if something that I say can help you guys go home and be better dads or better husbands, I've, I've done something today that's real and measurable. So there's a huge uh, focus on philosophy. We teach some basic nutrition, some basic recovery, because we do believe in recovery a lot. Um, I think training equals work plus rest. Like you've got to do the work outside. And just because you showed up at the gym and busted your ass for 45 minutes, 
man, you know, I'll use an hour for ease of math. I look at an hour of training, not as an hour of training, but as 23 other hours in a day that my athlete can go and fuck shit up. <laughs> so you gotta sleep, you gotta rest. You guys have probably seen it here. Someone's having a bad relationship and a bad time at work, what happens to their gains in the gym? Plummets. Just, just plummets. So we talk about recovery, we talk about stress relief, we talk about sleep, taking back control of your life, time management techniques, and then we talk about some basic introductory programming. Then, once somebody makes it through that, then we get into what I'll call a harder, more advanced, uh, more scientific type programming mm -hmm. in the second seminar and then the third seminar. That's, that's awesome. That's what basically the same structure we've had to do. You, you've got people, I mean, there's a lot of people want to learn, but you can't throw them in the deep end because there's a lot to grasp. And I think everything that we do in Westside is a iterative process. Like it's, we have a thing behind closed doors. It's a, a fail often, or fail fast, fail often. So there's always a, a constant renewal of different um, information going out there and everything that we write or that Louis writes is nearly a year behind because he's always a year ahead of everybody. But um, that's a big thing. And uh, a big thing that we're noticing is that um, the foundations, the foundations of athletes, a lot of athletes, not everyone, and the foundations of people in general, it's not there. The basics are not there. Nope. There's, there's no, uh, for what we, and I made a, the biggest thing to me that you can't screw up is pulling a sled. I'm like, everyone can pull a sled. Like, no, like, that is not true. Some, yeah. <laughs> some people do not know these basic functions. And it's very important if a pyramid can be as tall as his base. So if you don't have a strong base and a strong fundamentals, you can't be expected to do a clean. You can't just walk in, do a clean snatch when you can't pull a sled. But sadly, people don't know that. And, oh. and so these coaches are like, come on in, I will take your money and you go do a clean, do a snatch. And, Two weeks later, you're back. I'm sure, John, you can, you know that all these injuries from back injuries from even even from high level athletes, they got so good from genetics that they start lifting these weights, and these weights just are so much more than what they think, and their joints are something that's going to give out because they got no base. The bigger the base, the 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 less injury that you're going to have. Well, here's the other part of that too. Yes, beginners need a good foundation. They need to learn the basics, but done a fair amount of research on the best athletes in the world. It's something that's always intrigued me. Mm -hmm. I want to know why Kobe Bryant's Kobe Bryant. I want to know why LeBron James is LeBron James. I want to know why Steve Jobs was Steve Jobs. And the best people in the world, they still focus on the basics. They don't forget their fundamentals. People look at, and I think it's a problem in our society, they look at the foundation as a beginner phase. But it's not really a beginner phase because you have to maintain it your entire career. So you don't just graduate out of working on the basics. You need to continue them. And it's, it's like the NBA player working on the free throws. It's NFL players working on their hand drills. You don't ever graduate beyond that. It's watching game film. It's the basic things that you have to do to stay good. And I'm sure it's the same with lifting. Yeah. You don't just forget about your foundation and move on because you're somehow advanced. And it's funny, because if I had a beginner and I had four programs and one was foundation one, and then we had two, three, and four, everybody would want four. If it was 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, they want 1.3. Mm -hmm. If it's beginner, intermediate, and advanced, everyone thinks they're an expert and everyone wants the advanced program.
But advanced doesn't mean better. Mm -hmm. It just may mean a different phase of your development. And a lot of athletes go back in their off season to base building. Like if you look at, uh, from Olympic sports standpoint, Olympic swimmers go back into a base building type of mm -hmm. situation. Cyclists, some of the best guys in the Tour de France, go back into a basic base building phase. It's just the nature of things. And with technology and everything such fast flowing, you've got so many different stimuluses saying, this is the new latest and greatest. Well, you can get so far away from your foundation so quickly nowadays that you don't even know what you're missing. And we've done that here. We've, we've got so many exercises that we got away by doing too much of the wrong accessory work. And there's a thing, when you do something, just because it's hard does not mean it's good. Yep. And that, that is a big thing. People go by feet. I mean, I can try to ride a unicycle if I do an overhead presses. That does not mean it's going to carry over. And that's a big thing. But we're in this generation where we can watch it online. I'm like, well, that's, that looks like a good idea. Well, this kicked my ass. And you do it. And next thing, your lifts and performance starts going down, 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 especially with athletes. The number one objective of training an athlete is to increase athleticism. That, if that's not going up, you're, you're not doing a right job. And I agree. I mean, we, we got so many stuff here that's the stimulus is kind of killing athletes or killing their perspective oh. where the, the basics, ba the best people in the world, as you said, they do the basics. Um, when we met uh, uh, Zach Wilde from Black Label Society, every day he does the chords playing guitar. That's why he's so good. He does the standard chords every day. We're like, why do you do it? Because this is what makes me good. I said the basics. Yeah, he's yeah. not just sitting down and doing like a, like a solo off yeah. the top of his head every day. Yeah. He's doing his thing. Yeah. It's just what it takes. And the best people in the world, this is what they do. They yeah. take shot after shot after shot. They, they, they throw after throw after throw, lift after lift after lift. And they don't ever forget about that. You don't just quit. I think that's a dangerous misconception too, that folks could perceive essentially both of our gyms as a way to begin to suffer in your sport, strictly to excel at exercise. And that's the danger in variety or exercising for Instagram, as we call it. If I'm picking exercises that I excel at, that I can do 800 pound so-and-sos or 700 pound this for X amount of seconds, but I can take something as simple as walking at the front of the ATP with 90 pounds and my hips are on fire, then we have to go towards where you're weakest and build that back up and we refer back to the pyramid scheme, pardon me, not pyramid scheme, <laughs> the pyramid idea of putting that foundation in as best we can and then turn that athlete over to a sports-specific coach, never once claiming to be a know-it-all amongst every ball sport, combat sport, Olympic event. And that's a slippery slope that a lot of folks can go down based on marketing or what sounds exciting and new for the time. And just sort of sticking in the shadows for years, I think, is what inevitably drew our two organizations together to have this sit down and, and really talk training. And at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of different. You change around a few nouns and a few pieces of machinery or barbells and we're, we're we're all going down the same path oh yeah i mean there's louis always says about there's two ways to train athletes just training correctly and training incorrectly i mean there's there's a multiple different avenues but the way we all train you just change some parameters around it's basically the same because we all want people to get better we all want to train them correctly not incorrectly and what's training athletes correctly nobody gets injured Injuries are a thing of the past, and then just increasing whatever they need to increase for their given task, the given sport, and that's it. I mean, there's, uh, we're in an industry, like we should, no one should be ever competitors. I'm like, we're all in this to better athletes. And but how do we better athletes? By bettering ourselves. How do we better ourselves? By talking. Simply yeah. by, by reaching out and talking to each other. 
And these people that want to go, well, I'm not going to do this, or we're better. I'm like, no, we're not better than athletes. We're no better than nobody else. But it's sharing ideas, and that's what's wrong with our society right now, especially strength coaches, and I use that loosely. But I don't know how many, very few people are like you, Bobby, that we can talk openly and share ideas to where they're not closed off. People have opinions. Everyone's got opinions, sure. But you can't be closed off to other people's ideas and trying it out. That's a big thing. People watch it and they see it and they read the theory. They don't do the practical and just assume, okay, that's not going to work. We'll do it. See what happens. That's a big thing. Um, and that's uh, I'm sure you saw that like with, with uh, some of our machines. And we're not trying to sell them at all, but we had them for a reason. But you just look at them and you're like, well, they're not, they're not, why would I get that? Well, get on it and try it. Then, then you see, okay, now this, I see why Louis invented this, why the reverse hyper is such a big deal here. That's what we use it every day. Well, yeah, and, and, and part of that for me is the smartest person in the room is the person who realizes they need to ask for help. So when you have access to some of the best people in the world, go learn from them. And also realize there isn't just one way. Mm-hmm. There are many different ways. And just because you think yours is the best, that doesn't mean it's is the best. I always say, you know, uh, feelings are not facts. Just because you believe in your thing and you feel you're the best, that doesn't make it a fact. So always search out for new things. And there's always somebody who knows more than you, who's smarter than you, who's done it better than you. And you will always come to a place where you need to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so it's constantly learning and trying new things, getting new stimulus and exposing yourself to these different Training methods, I mean, if I ever have access to anybody, I ask them, I'm, I'm annoying. I want to ask them a million questions, whether they're a, even if they're not in the strength and training industry, mm-hmm. like if I was to talk to a basketball coach, I want to ask them questions because I think if I got to sit down with Greg Popovich from the Spurs, mm-hmm. he could teach me a lot about coaching my athletes. If I sit with a person that's run a business or very successful business, I could learn something from them. I mean, people ask me if I read if I watch TV, if I try to learn, and yes, and some of the greatest lessons I've learned for strength and conditioning have come from people outside the strength and conditioning industry, just constantly learning from others. Yeah, that's, we, um, we're looking for hand-eye coordination drills, and I'm looking through every strength and conditioning book, couldn't find it. I found um, references and articles on Chinese table tennis. We got some of the best hand-eye coordination drills from a completely different sport, from a mm-hmm. completely different coach, just by looking outside. I mean, it makes common sense now, but at the time, strength and condition, I'm trying to go search through every textbook I have. I'm like, where is this? And right there, and it was on, of all things Netflix, I saw this thing on table tennis. I'm like, well, that seems like a good idea. Yeah. And I got I looked it up, but it's amazing, it's true. Once, once you look outside, I mean, the darker spots under the light, so once you spread your horizons, you can learn a whole lot. Yeah, and you could have easily thought, this is fucking table tennis. Yeah. I'm not learning this. Like, yeah. this can't possibly relate to me. Yeah. But then it relates to you. If you take eight or ten leaders of industry or sport or activity, whatever it ends up being, you, you reference being the best at taking out the garbage in the whole world, which my wife can attest I am not. <laughs> if, you, if you take their information or their articles, things they've said or written, and you change one or two nouns or adjectives, it's damn near the same information across the board. It's a matter of truly receiving it, digesting it, and being able to put it into action. And I mean, it's it's a great way to really exist if you're performing services in exchange for other people's time. You have to stay on that course, and, and there's nowhere you can't learn something. Some of the most pivotal moments of strength training for me have come from having Mexican food with you and Louis Simmons. You just, 
you don't know where it's going to go, but you've got to put yourself in those situations to be able to learn. That's a when I first came here, and uh, again I had my preconceived notions of what West Side Barbell was, but the first two books Louie gave me was one was a basic physics book, and I'm like, okay, I did not expect that. And the other book was the Book of the Five Rings, and he's like, if you can master the Book of the Five Rings, you'll become a very, very, very good coach. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy going on with? Because every story will lose a samurai story. It's, it's some Shaw Brothers film that he will quote, and there's always a reason behind it, and you're like, why is this? When you read that book, you can put that book into absolutely everything you do. The same with basic physics. What is this? Well, learn about Newton's Law. Why is this important? Again, you can find everything outside, and strength conditioning itself can become not monotonous, but the information is, is just so repetitive, and you're like, there's... When you know how to train somebody, you know how to train, you got to find different stimuluses, and that's a that's a big thing, and I don't think enough people look outside the box. It's funny you mentioned five rings. That book shows up more and more people we visit. That book ends up places, and I don't think we've ever done one thing publicly to condone reading that book. Yeah. But when you meet some of the people across the board that we're fortunate enough to meet, that book of five rings is sitting on a shelf somewhere in a gym, on a bathroom table or shelf, and it, it, it truly does, it, it can sum up a lot of good ideas if you can switch gears. You know, we may not be talking about samurai, but there's not a whole lot of difference in, in making someone good at activity A or activity B when it comes to guiding their information or helping them make smart decisions. And to refer back to what we mentioned earlier about making a series of bad choices or failures, those have to get done, but there's no need to repeat them. <laughs> However, that may not create the flashiest marketing material for some folks. No, but failure is always failure happens. I mean, it's it's just a given. Like you are going to fail. What are you going to do? I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, the a lot of people are afraid to be look foolish, look stupid. I mean, the, some of the stuff that we do in that gym that people don't know about it. You're like, what are you guys doing? That makes no sense. You only look foolish if you quit, though. Yep. And like, what's what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You try it out. Yeah and it doesn't work. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah. Or you try it out and it does work, or you learn something new, or you have something new to add to your mm -hmm. repertoire, but either way, what did you really give up in trying? And then, then you're stuck with the what ifs. What if I did that? And that's the worst thing ever, because I think for people like us, we're constantly thinking. So if I gotta lie down and try sleep, I won't be able to do it. Like, why didn't I do that? What if I did this? Yeah. Well, you get rid of that, then that's gonna help you a whole lot. And you grow as a coach. Uh, one thing that we know here from athletes, we learn so much more from athletes than athletes ever learn from us, simply because we ask for feedback. How did you feel? What do you think? Like, how is this working? If you're not talking to your athletes and getting feedback from them, you're just missing the bus straight away from strength coaches. Like, no strength coach knows it all. Like, I'd like to think, like, Louis is the best. He's by far the best in the world what he does. He is still reading every day. Mm -hmm. Every he's 70 years old, he's reading. He's in the gym four times a day. He's still experimenting. And as someone who's in the industry for over 40 years is still learning and doesn't know everything, there's no way some 20 or 30 something year old has a clue. There's, there's no way. I mean, it's an adaptive process. Um, speaking of books, your book, um, Maximus Body, how did that come about and what will people pick up in that? You know, it was actually interesting. I started a relationship with men's health. Um, there was a guy there named Michael Easter, who's a writer. And he was really interested in the gym and what I did. And so we started kind of working together. And we wrote various articles. And the tone of the articles was always, there was no free lunch. There was no three easy payments at 9.99. There are no shortcuts. You gotta do things the right way. 
This is gonna be hard and it's gonna suck, but you're gonna get good results. You're not gonna get your abs in four minutes. It was just telling people the truth. And I didn't think it was that revolutionary because I'm just d d doing what's supposed to be done. But it really resonated with a certain aspect of their community. And the head editor there um, came to me and said, we want you to write a book and tell people the truth. We want you to be the person that does it. This is like a thing for us. And I was kind of flattered, like, I got all right. And I said, are you sure people are ready to hear it? And he said, I don't know, but we're gonna try. And so I wrote a book and just told the truth. So the book itself, uh, it was really important to me to not just write a workout book. It's really interesting. The first 40 pages of that, you could give it to a mom, a business person, you could give it to a janitor, you could give it to a car mechanic, you, you could give it to a kid, and it will teach them how to make their life better. In fact, the first 40 pages of that book, the first eight chapters have nothing to do with exercise. It's just sports psychology and life psychology because I think that's important. And they let me do that, which meant I could write the book. <laughs> then I you know, put some information about nutrition, some information about recovery, mm -hmm. and then I have a full workout program for people with 100 of my favorite workouts. And it's the kind of book that you could give it, I think, to the best and smartest exercise physiologist in the world, and you could get something out of it. You could also give it to an absolute beginner that's never been in the gym in their life and it would act as a guidebook. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think I did a really good job at, you know, if I can pat myself on the back, at appealing to every level, which, which is important. And I think it helps the beginner that I wanna help and it, it also, I think, garners me respect in the industry. And we put the book out. And right now it's only available direct through Men's Health, which you know, limits my sales. Um, it's kind of been a, been a tough pill to swallow a little bit because you know, you put your life's work into something and really I can say that my life's work and man, you, you wanna hope a million people buy it, but it doesn't quite work like that. It takes a while and it's a lot of work and a lot of promoting, um, but it's gonna go to trade in, in, in March, which means that it'll be available everywhere and then we'll see what, we'll see what happens. What do you think the, probably a hard question to answer, but the, one of the biggest truths in that book for people to swallow? What, what do you think that they're gonna read that and go, yeah, it's probably true and I'm lying to myself. So I have this thing called the 130 hour rule mm -hmm. and it takes 130 hours to get fit. People are like, where does that come from and what does it mean? I think I'm a damn good coach and I think I'm damn good at what I do. I'll never tell you I'm the best in the world, but I think I'm really fucking good. And if you give me somebody for six months, five days a week for an hour, I think I can make something out of them. Would you guys agree with that? Like if I came to train here for six months and I showed up five days a week for an hour, I think you could make me a savagely strong individual. Mm -hmm. That's 130 hours. And I think you have to put in 130 hours of quality directed time towards something every day, five days a week for six months to get fit. And that's a hard thing for people to buy off on because they want it in six weeks, they want it in three weeks, they want it in 10 days, and they don't want to put the time in. So when somebody comes in and I say it's gonna take you six months, they don't want to hear that. And even me, sometimes I have a hard time with it because I want my 700 pound deadlift tomorrow. I want you to like do something to me, flip a switch, teach me some magic exercise that I'm gonna go home for two weeks and then it's just gonna, it's just gonna happen. But it doesn't work like that. I gotta, you said something earlier, Tom, about you gotta chip away at it. Five pounds here, five pounds there, five pounds here. And that's the attitude in the book. And 
frankly, it's counterintuitive to everything we're bombarded by in today's society. We live in a get rich quick, instant gratification, no work society today. Watch TV. Like I, I spent a lot of time watching TV and you know, you, you watch infomercials and everything is fast, easy, free, $9.99. You're telling me 30 second nab is not real? You know, I wish it was. <laughs> but my, here's my thing. If you, I don't know how people can fucking believe that because do you think like the, the Olympic athlete that runs a thousand miles a year, not a thousand miles a year, a thousand hours a year, mm -hmm. The cyclist that trains a thousand hours a year, thousand hours a year is a good number of training for an Olympic athlete. You don't think if they could do it in a hundred that they would do it in a hundred? You yeah. don't think they got other stuff to do? You think they like doing that? Like Mark Cavendish, Tour de France rider, rode 35,000 miles one year. You think he likes riding his bike that much? I mean, maybe he does, because that's why he does it, but you don't think if he could do it in 5,000, he would do it in 5,000? Same thing like same yeah. thing with lifting. If you told me all I had to do was lift five minutes a day, you don't think I would do that? It doesn't work like that, but we get sucked into believing it. And I think it's because we want to believe it because we don't want to put in the hard work. And so I think, I think that principle, and it's beyond the 130 hour rule, it's just a principle of you really got to work for this. People have a hard time with it. I agree. Or it's shocking to them. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, it's not easy. It's not free. It's not just going to happen for me. Nope, it's gonna suck. Because the other part of the 130 hour rule is you gotta work your ass off. And I'm very clear about this in the book. You're not showing up at a global gym, swiping your card and hanging out, talking to a cute girl on a treadmill. You're fucking working. You're sweating, you're puking, you're seeing visions, you're pushing yourself past your limits. You're going full tilt every single day. It's not 130 mediocre hours, it's 130 quality hours. And you guys know, because we talked about it yesterday, you can get a lot done in 45 minutes if that 45 minutes is, what did you say? Phones, egos at the door, mm -hmm. I think is what you said. You give me 45 minutes with somebody and it's a hard 45 minutes, they shouldn't want any more than that, let alone an hour. Well, it's, it's time, and we talk about that. Time is so precious, and I would rather spend time doing stuff that I wanna do. Yeah. Not, not just spending like two or three, and don't get me wrong, I love the gym. But if I'm in there three hours, I'm, first of all, I'm not accumulating enough work to get done. I'm wasting my windows of serum testosterone levels naturally, going up and down. I, that, that's a given. But people, there's a big difference. You go to the gym, it's not, it's not a social club. We're not going in there to socialize. We've got plenty of other, that's why they have bars. We go to bars to socialize. We can go anywhere else to socialize. We can eat steaks to socialize. We go to the gym for a purpose. And I, I think people have forgot their purpose. Why are you coming in to train? And that is a big thing. Now, we are a family, uh, in and out, but uh, there's time. You go into that gym, I want to kick your ass, you want to kick my ass, but we're, we're there for a purpose, we're in, and we're going back and forth, back and forth. And then when you leave the gym, I think you should have a certain sense of achievement. Like, I've achieved something. I've, I've done something positive today. I've hit a PR, or I've found out a weakness. And, and that's one thing I forgot to bring up, weaknesses. People are so afraid. I mean, there's very few people that I've met, but you get people at the top where their weaknesses are very low. That's when you gotta start, okay, I gotta really knuckle down. But at the start, if you find a weakness, that's friggin' awesome, because that's something you can improve upon. If you don't have weaknesses, well, then it's very hard to improve upon something. Well, I, I get asked all the time, what's the best workout plan in the world? Like, make a list of your weaknesses, make a list of your strengths. You're not allowed to touch your strengths for three months. All you can do is work your weaknesses. Easy, like you wanna get better, do that. And by working your weaknesses, you'll improve dramatically. Keep working on your strengths, 
not going to get anywhere. And that's a that's a terribly effective way to word it, and hopefully that resonates well with people. And that it's not a an overly complex process. You don't have to have a PhD to troubleshoot these things. And that's that's a great way to sum up what strength training is: is to eliminate the weakest link in the chain, ignore doing what makes you feel good, tear that half of the page away, and focus down everything that's going to be absolutely terrible. And I made two bullet points when you were talking. Of it's going to suck. That's not going to go away. The better you get, the better shape you get, the stronger you get, the worse the actual execution of work is going to feel. You're not all of a sudden going to go from doing band-assisted glute hand raises or inverse curls at body weight to full range of motion weighted glute hand raises and expect that feeling to be a, like a warm, happy hug. It's going to be goddamn terrible for an extended period of time. And if you mentally can't wrap your head around that, then you have to accept that I'm starting to top out of where I'm going to grow in athletics or in strength training and either make peace with it and call it what it is or put that to bed and just embrace the it's going to suck mentality without sounding too cliche and novelty about it. It's a, a very simple statement, a very simple way to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And I think with... It comes back to the, like, society is changing a whole lot, and I, I think, I'll tell you what, um, since the day that you're in the UFC to where now, I mean, everything has changed so much and so fucking quickly that um, people, they look on TV and they're like, okay, I can, I can do that, but they do not want to go, they want to be at 99, 100%, they do not, as you said, they don't want to go from zero all the way up, but they'll be back there like, oh, I can, I can do that. Like, we've had people, they watch people squat a thousand pounds, like, so, yeah, a thousand pounds, like, yeah, who cares? Like I can do that. Like, no, yeah, do that. yeah. Well, and, and that's and that's part of that insecurity I spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. Part of that self-imposed limitations. The reality is, if you didn't do something in life, because you didn't work hard enough for it, that's a fact. But you can't just accept that. You got to pin it on other people, and that's one of the behaviors I hate too. Where you're gonna blame it on the suit. You're yeah. gonna blame it on you know, some drug, you're going to blame it on a supplement. You're going to blame it on that. They have a better coach than you. You're going to blame it on the equipment. No, look in the mirror. The problem is you. Yeah. And you probably have that problem in every aspect of your life. Like I, like I always say the, the, the common link in this chain of dysfunction is you and it's always you. you so walk, fix it. If you walk into a room and everyone's an asshole, you're the asshole. Yeah. yeah, it's true, right? Yeah, like, it is the truth. So, like, just, and when we blame other, we make excuses, it's part of that, that bigger picture of what I call self-limiting behavior because you're just not willing to accept your own inadequacies and just get the fuck to work. Is there any, um, like, psychology is huge with you, and just listening to you talk is absolutely awesome. Is there anything that you can to our listeners that if they were to read a book or to look someone up or look at an article that you say, hey, go in this direction, look at this, read this, it will help you. Yeah, there's a guy, Lanny Basom, that does a lot of really good sports psychology work, who's really good. Um, he's got a book called With a Winning Mind. I wanna say the title, it's been a long time since I've read it, but, but a really just good book in terms of this type of stuff, in terms of self-imposed limitations. Um, the other one that I think is really good is the shoe dog story from the Nike founder. You guys seen that? No. It's insane. No. Like what this guy kind of kind of kind of went through. Um, but shoe dog is a book about how the Nike guy founded the 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 the. It's a it, it's a book about how he founded Nike and how he like his memoirs 
and like the amount of times this guy mortgaged his house working out of a car, like all his Nike stuff in the trunk of a car, you're like, this company probably should have shut down a hundred times before it got successful. And so something like that about perseverance mm -hmm. and then and then the Lanny Basin stuff. And then the other guy that I would look up is Brian Kane. And he's a guy who really helped me. And he, I mean, he changed my, my life, like in terms of his stuff, just uh, working with me to be better, to have a better positive self-image. And, and it's helped me, I was on his podcast not long ago and I told him, I'm like, we've kind of lost touch, but you've been more influential on my strength training career than anyone else I've ever worked with in my life because of that stuff. And that brings up my next question. I was going to see who was some of your biggest influencers. Yeah, so Brian, Brian King. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a huge one, uh, especially with self-imposed limitations. Uh, Shaw Franco is one of them. Uh, Shaw Franco was my second fight coach that I had, and I credit him with rescuing my career. Um, I was kind of lost. I got cut from the UFC, didn't know what I was going to do, uh, didn't know where I was going to train, and he kind of took me under his wing and kind of turned my life around. Because of him, I won a world championship uh, at Ring of Fire um, and and got really good at jujitsu and, and just kind of had a new focus. And he taught me a lot about life, actually. Not just, uh, not just being better at sports, but learning how to really deal with athletes and really, really care. And a guy that's made a ton of personal sacrifices to be better for his athletes and never wanted glory for himself, just kind of always in the background. And, and the third person in God rest his soul, a guy named Sean Tompkins, who uh, I think he's one of the best fight trainers ever in the UFC. Um, he trained myself, Mark Hominick, Sammy Stout, Chris Horodecki, Christoph Szczynski, all people, you know, Dan Henderson, he worked with all people in the UFC. He taught me about hard fucking work. It's like funny, because we all think we work hard. And I think I work hard now. I couldn't do what I used to do with him. Like those training sessions, those were something. Like. When I was 24 and I had the gas to do it, sure. But like, you can go in there and it was never easy. Give us an example. Uh, just for example, on Saturdays, you go in and you run stairs for a half an hour before you'd even be allowed to train. And it's hard running stairs for a half hour, up, down, up, down, up, down. Then you'd come in and we were affiliated with Boss Rootin, so you do Boss Rootin workouts. You do three minutes of shadow boxing, one minute rest for seven rounds. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to those DVDs, <laughs> but if you go for it, it's fucking hard. Then we do a bunch of squats, a bunch of push-ups, and a bunch of skipping for another half hour. Now we were ready to train. Training might consist of a half hour grappling, half hour wrestling, and then a half hour of getting shark tanked in the middle of a kickboxing ring. <laughs> and let me tell you guys, when you look from corner to corner, you got Mark Hominick in one corner, Sammy Stout in another, Nick Rondinelli, who's a world Muay Thai champion in another, and then Sean Tompkins in the other, and you're getting a new fresh guy every minute for 30 minutes straight, it gets fucked up. Like I think about that now and I look at these guys and how good they were and it, it wasn't a human kind of thing. <laughs> like it was just a whole nother level of training hard yeah. and that's just what we did. It was just some of the hardest training I've ever, ever, ever had. But looking back on it, I didn't realize how hard it was till now because it was fun being with the guys and going through it together. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just it was just one of those things. And I, I look at it and I'm like, I can get through anything. 45 minute gym session, it ain't three hours. Yeah, That's the reality. Um, and building upon that, how important do you think training partners are? 
I think it's one of the biggest things mm -hmm. because you cannot do this shit alone. Yes, at the end of the day, you have to lift the reps. You have to deal with that garbage inside your head. You have to push yourself, but training partners, they can motivate you, they can inspire you, they make it fun, and that's something that you guys have, have, have captured the spirit of, which I love. There was some really hard work going on yesterday with those kids, AJ, Miles, can't remember the other kid's name, the little 17-year-old wrestler. Yeah, Connor. They're like, yeah, they're, they're working their ass off, but they were all kind of doing it with a smile on their face. We were pulling those sleds up and down the parking lot, and that sucked. We were kind of talking, kind of laughing. There's a spirit of fun. And people, they, if it's not fun, you're not gonna do it. I think they, they downplay, like we're, we're not allowed to have fun in here. Like you've gotta suffer, it's gotta be dark. You're gonna throw yourself on a fire. Fuck that. I'm here to have some fun, and I'm doing this shit because I love it. And so that's where training partners really come in because there's nothing like, for me, a good laugh in the middle of a training session. Like when your coach, like when Sean would tell us to do stuff and I'd look over Sammy and I'm like, what's his fucking problem? And we laugh and like that stuff just really brings up the spirit and of everybody. And if you look at the history of professional sports, teams that gel, teams that have a chemistry, teams that hang out together, those are the teams that win. Mm -hmm. um. We're getting to end here, but I wanted to bring up one thing. Where did the Holy Trinity come from for you? What, what, what is the significance, significance of this workout? All right, so the Holy Trinity is my favorite workout of all time, and it's just bringing stuff back to jail. Pull-ups, dips, and push-ups. And yes, it's upper body driven, but who, <laughs> you make me laugh, man. One of these motherfuckers just wrote me a note. I made these guys do the Holy Trinity the other day. He wrote me a note that said, I'm still sore. But it's upper body driven. Who doesn't like a good pump in their upper body? There's nothing. I mean, you guys, we're into real training and athletic training, but nothing feels as good as a good chest and back pump. Like, if we're honest about it, <laughs> it feels really, really good, right? And anyone that says that's not true, they're lying. We all love it. And when I was fighting in the UFC, I was also a cop in Canada, a police officer, and I didn't have a lot of time to train. I was working in an anti-violence unit, a, a gang unit, and some weeks were 80 hours, some were 100 hours. There were nights I slept at the police station because I couldn't afford the time to drive home and drive back the next morning. Why did I do that? Because I fucking wanted it. And all my free time went to fight training because Fighting is not a fitness test. Yes, fitness plays a huge role in fighting, but the fittest guy in the world isn't the best fighter in the world. You have to still fight. So I needed to figure out a way to work on my strength and conditioning because that was important. And sometimes I only had 10 minutes. Sometimes I only had 15 minutes. Sometimes I only had 20 minutes and I had to get shit done. And I figured out one day just kind of I should tell you guys a story about how I had a vision. <laughs> Jesus came to me and told me about this magical workout, but I kind of put pull-ups, push-ups, and dips together, and the feeling I got from doing that for 20 minutes was a feeling I'd never had before, and it kind of stuck, and, and it became a thing with me that as long as I could do 1,500 of each movement a week, I'd be fit enough to fight. And so there'd be times I'd do 100 of each on Monday, 100 of each on Tuesday, 100 in each of Wednesday, and then I get to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm like, fuck, I better do a lot. <laughs> as long as I got 1,500 in a week, it meant that I was, I was fit. And between that and some running and fighting, 
I'll tell you guys, I never lost a fight because of fitness. I'll tell you that. So it, it, it worked and it's always become something for me now. It's like a pacifier. Going to the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships in a couple weeks. Guess what it's been for the last month? <laughs> Holy Trinity, it's my thing. It's like my security blanket. That's awesome. I can add on the Holy Trinity. <laughs> one of the things we deal with here at Westside, and I have to preface everything with saying you're not going to find my name on a record board or probably even a piece of toilet paper around here, but if you're doing your max effort days, your dynamic days, and we hear the it's becoming monotonous a lot, one, you're not trying hard enough, but two, if you need to break the monotony, hop in with Bobby Maximus and knock out the Holy Trinity in lieu of some of your more traditional accessory work, and you will find some meat attached to your body that has not been targeted in a while, and you will, you, will, uh, you will have learned a little bit of a life lesson. And that kind of goes back to our idea of, of the humility and hard work and not being afraid to fail. If you step into Westside Barbell and bench press, no one's going to care about what you bench press. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is work hard and enjoy where you're at. And if you're in a gym and you're knocking your workout out and a guy about 6'3 with a shaved head tells you it's Holy Trinity time, and you step up to the plate, you're not going to quote unquote win. You're going to work hard for 20 minutes and you're going to feel like you got hit by a truck for a couple of days. But it adds a little, another degree to your training and it's a great way to cool. add to the blend of two different worlds, two very effective, very authentic worlds. And it's more proof that there's no right, there's no wrong, there's only similar but different. Well, and if I can add two things to that before we go, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the secrets behind the Holy Trinity is you have to beat your last score every time you do it. So you constantly have to get better because it's a way to add new stress. Mm -hmm. I always believe that every day you need to improve on something. You need to get one more. And one more rep might not seem like a lot. One more rep over the course of a year, holy shit. I mean, imagine it's that old tale of, of Milos and, and, and the calf. Yeah. You guys heard that mm -hmm. where you pick up the cow every day. But imagine I could just add one pound to my deadlift every day. Holy shit. And psychologically, if I did 405 yesterday, I can buy off on doing 406 today. And tomorrow I'll do 407, the next day I'll do 408. At some point that shit runs out, but fuck, it works. Well, it works. It really, really works. And the second thing is you brought up bench press coming to West Side. I'm, you know, man enough to admit I got fucking mauled by two 50-pound dumbbells yesterday. There, it was an Instagram story of me squealing, making involuntary noises, fucking squirming around. I was, I was, that was kind of nice, I'm not Payback, <laughs> what that was. But again, it's, it's new stimulus. That's what it is, and it's trying new things and putting yourself in a position. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of thought, I'm like, five minutes, this won't be that bad. Two minutes in, I'm like, fuck <laughs> this. Okay, just don't quit. <laughs> just don't make an ass of yourself. But now I have this tool that, you know, anyone from my gym that's listening at home, there's something fucking coming home. <laughs> there's actually a few things coming home that you ain't gonna like. The dumbbells are gonna be missing on Monday. Yes. All right, well, we'll get this wrapped up. Um, Bobby, pleasure to have you on, and hopefully this is the first of many visits coming down here. Yeah, I, I would love it, and I just want to say to you guys, like, you're, you're one of the gyms that I really, really look up to. And there's, there's honestly, I can't say that about many people in this industry, because I think it's filled with charlatans. I think it's filled with liars and fakes. And, and you guys are a very real, you know, beacon, if you will, in, 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 a, in a world that's pretty fucking shitty. And, and so I'm, I'm honored to be here. Like I've been, since I got invited here, it's been like a fucking kid at Christmas. I've been like counting down the days, X and O days on the calendar. So like, I'm like a little fanboy here and, and it's exciting. And man, like we all talk about living your dreams. It's pretty fucking cool to get invited to this gym. It's 
pretty fucking cool to get to travel. And this is my job. Like, it's the best life in the world. So thank you, guys. Hey, you're a pleasure to have you here. Gus, always a pleasure. John in the background, thanks for staying on. And uh, this has been the Westside Barbell Podcast. Louie will be back in next week giving a uh, podcast on the rule of three. Um, so thank you all for listening. <laughs>